Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I am the student pastor here at FBC, and uh, I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I probably ate a little bit too much, as I'm sure uh, I'm probably not the only guilty one in that department right there. Um, what can I say? I love pumpkin pie. So, um, but as we were in this time of um, Thanksgiving, and we're getting ready to turn the corner to go to Christmas, and, and like, where in the world has the time gone, right? We're already at Christmas, like the year has already gone, it's, and it's, it's just crazy to think about. Uh, and so as we think about Christmas coming up, our senior pastor, David, he's going to be back here next week looking at Christmas and unpacking that for us, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. But as I think about Thanksgiving, and I think about Christmas, and I think about what comes after that is New Year's, what comes to mind for me is these kind of these three words that kind of encapsulate and kind of encompass kind of this season for us, and that's joy, hope, and resets. And I, as I think about that, and I think there's a reason why we as people kind of gravitate to these ideas of joy, hope, and resets, is because we recognize that we live in a world that so often seems devoid of joy, that sucks hope out of things. And we live where we feel like we always need a new reset because of how the previous year has gone. And as we think about that, I want to take us into Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. And I want us to think about this passage, and I want us to think about it in this way of, it, this is for our good. And what I want us to also see from this is that as we go through life, and as Paul was, he does in this passage, is he takes the hope that we have as Christians and contrasts it to the reality that we have of just brokenness and hurt and sin and evil. And we get this sense that this is not the way it should be. So we compare and contrast these. I want us to see that we have hope that is meaningful and purpose in our lives that is meaningful. And so, let's jump in here and um, into verse, uh, verse 18 of this passage. Oh, sorry, let me back up. I skipped a slide. There we go. Uh, suffering is to be accepted as followers of Christ. And I think that's the first thing that I want us to recognize because there is no promise in Scripture that says life is going to be perfect. There is nothing, that everything is going to go your way. There are some churches out there that says if you follow Jesus Christ, everything is going to be perfect. But that's not what we see in God's word. And we see the exact opposite. We see that suffering is to be expected and a reality of following him. And so now let's jump into that verse 18. And for I consider, this is Paul speaking, that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so Paul is talking about right now, here now, present time, there is suffering and hardship. And we just came out a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, we came out of Paul and we looked at 
all the different things that he endured to bring the gospel to the nations, to the Gentiles. And, uh, but Paul really has in mind in here these two ideas when he talks about suffering. And the first one is you jump back just a little bit into verse 17, and it tells us that we are heirs and children of God and fellow heirs with Christ, but that as heirs with Christ, we're going to suffer alongside him. Paul wants us to recognize that being a Christian means that just like Christ suffered and died, we too are also going to share in that suffering. Because the world hated Jesus. That's why they crucified him. The world is in rebellion against Jesus because Jesus confronts them with the reality that you are sinful and you need a savior. And so we don't like that. And the world then pushes against Jesus. And because we're followers of Jesus Christ, the world too also pushes against us and hates us. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise when as we follow Jesus Christ that we're made fun of for that. It shouldn't come as a surprise when people demean us or mean to us and call us nasty names. And sometimes it even brings up conflict in our jobs and our relationships. And in some parts of the world, that, that conflict is so great that families completely ostracize those who follow Jesus. In some parts of the world, people are thrown in prison and killed because they follow Jesus Christ. Because the world hated Jesus, we too can expect that the world will hate us as well. And so that's the first type of suffering that Paul is talking about for us as Christians that we can expect. And the second one is found in verses 20 through 21. And it says this, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It was subjected to futility. It's talking about the curse here, how sin has broken things and damaged things, and even our, the creation that we live in is subject to this curse. And so we, we experience you know, hardship of like, I want to provide for my family, and I put in this effort, and it doesn't necessarily return as much as I hope it would. Our bodies break down, there's disease. A couple of years ago, um, I was running a 5K, I know some of you guys are probably thinking, well, that's a mistake right there. But I was running a 5K, and uh, I finished the race. I ran pretty well. I did, got a decent time in it. And then I finished, and a couple hours later, I'm going, why can't I walk? I cannot walk. What's wrong? And my left knee has swollen up. I can barely bend it. And I'm going, what in the world happened? And I didn't fall. I didn't, like, have a misstep or anything. I just kind of seemed like a normal race, and so I go to my doctor, he looks at things and go, you tore your meniscus. I'm like, oh great, you're gonna get surgery. I'm like, well, why did this happen? He's like, you're old. <laughs> like, oh great, oh great, I I'm already old. They're like, things, are start things break when you get older. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. So, uh, but th that's part of the curse. And that's the second piece of the suffering that we can expect as, as a, just as people and as followers of Jesus Christ. First is that the world hates us, and second is because we're underneath 
this curse of sin and brokenness and death. But in that verse, it says that it was subjected to futility in hope. And Paul immediately wants us to start seeing that there is hope. But this isn't all that we've got. And so the hope we have in Christ gives us the motivation to endure suffering and hardship. It helps us see beyond the here and now and to be able to live for Christ in the future. And so thinking back to my knee, after I had surgery and removed the the torn meniscus, I had to have physical therapy. And physical therapy is not necessarily the most enjoyable thing. It can be painful as you go through this process of letting your, letting your body heal and working those muscles after everything's got poked and prodded by, by the surgeons. It's not fun, but what kept me motivated to persevere through that is the hope that I get to go run again and not just have a gimpy leg. And so that motivation keeps us, keep, kept me going forward. And what Paul wants us to see is that we have the motivation of hope, of glory, of that God is fixing things to help us press on to continue in our walk, in our faith in Christ. Let's actually go back to the verse 18. And I want us to, to see this. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He wants us to take our minds and shift off from the present and to look also to the future. Because when we keep our eyes up on Jesus and on the future and what God has in store for us, it helps us keep the present suffering in perspective. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't make it less, but it says it helps us go, yeah, I can make it through because what's in store is so much better. So much better. And so, that hope is so important. That hope is so much important. And he continues in verse 23 and 25. And he says this. So, not only creation, but we ourselves, we are the first fruits of the spirits, grown inwardly as we wait it's an important word. Wait eagerly for adoption as sons. So there's this hope that we have. We're groaning inwardly. In long, we recognize that, man, this is not how things should be. There's this evil and there's brokenness in this world and it kind of sucks the life out of everything. And, he, and Paul's like, yeah, this is not the way it should be. We groan inwardly, but we're waiting for adoption as sons, for redemption. And for of our bodies, and for in this hope we are saved. Now this hope is not seen, for the who hopes for what he sees, but we hope for what we do not see, and we wait. There's that key word again, and we do it with patience. With patience. And Paul tells us. He gives us a couple ways to wait because sometimes it's like, it's hard to wait. And I, I myself think about this as, as, I've, as I've gone through different hardships in my own life and I think, God, why do we have to wait? What's going on? What are you doing? I don't understand. 
Waiting is hard. And the picture that I get in mind in my mind is Jesus comes, he sits next to me and puts his arms around me and says, I know it's hard. I know this is broken. I know this hurts. But I didn't leave it that way. Remember, I did something about it. I came, I died on the cross, took care of your sin, and I rose again. And that's this new life that I have raising is that's what you get too. You're going to have a new life where this sin and this brokenness isn't going to be anymore in your life. And then as I'm having this conversation with Jesus, like, yes, God, I understand that. And that's such an amazing thing. But, and I know what you did. And I know that you're working. And I know that you're going to come again. But why, why can't you come right now? Why do we still have to wait? And Jesus responds back to me and says, because more people need the hope that I've given to you. More people need to hear the grace and the gospel and the good news that you've received. And so that's why we wait. We wait patiently. And Paul in this passage, he gives us some ideas on how we wait. And he tells us, we wait patiently for our assured future hope with prayer and with trust. Now, sometimes we hear this, I'll just pray about it. I'm going to just trust God. And that can seem a little cliche. It's kind of like uh, the friend that you may have that likes to fix everything with duct tape. Like, your car is broken? Ah, I've got some duct tape. We can fix that. Uh, you broke your arm? All right, well, we can make a sling out of some duct tape for you. And I've got to patch up that hole in your pants with some, uh, with some duct tape. All your kids talking back to you? Duct tape, yeah, uh-huh. I can fix anything with duct tape. And so it's like, come on, it's just a cliche that everything can be fixed with duct tape. And sometimes we think about prayer that way too. That, oh, that's just a cliche. But the reality is prayer is for every season of life. Prayer is something that we can go to and trusting God is something that we can go to no matter the season of life. And so Paul gives us some clues on how we do that. In verse 26, he says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And our weakness is our spiritual immaturity, the fact that we don't understand God completely. We don't know his plan, what he's doing. Our weakness is that we can get stuck in the moment of this present and forget about God. And he said, in our weakness, the Spirit helps us. He says, we don't even know what to pray for, as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's been times in my life where I've been praying, and it's just like, I don't even know what to pray for. And what this passage gives us comfort in knowing that the Spirit speaks for us on our behalf. It takes the emotions, the ah, uh, in our hearts and brings that before the Father. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Sometimes we think when we pray, we are giving new information to God. 
Sometimes we think when we're praying that we're going to change God's mind, but this passage tells us that we pray the Spirit on our behalf, prays so that we are in the will of God and we are in accordance to the will of God. So we're not giving God new information. He knows all things. He has a plan and he's control and over all things, but what he is doing is when we pray and the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts so that our hearts conform to the heart, the mind, and the will of God. Jesus himself, when he prayed, says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us, in our hearts. When we pray, it's handing things over to him and say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give this over to you because it's out of my hands. I don't even know how to deal with this. I can't even put it into words, everything that I'm going through. So God, help me. And so we pray, honestly, with what's going on, with the suffering of this present time. And then Paul goes on and tells us a little bit more about how we trust God and why we can pray to a God who cares about us, who is doing something for us. And this in Romans 28 Verse 28, it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Working together for good. And some of you probably memorized this, and this is a beautiful verse, and it's a beautiful promise. But sometimes we get mixed up because we think that the good that God is working towards is what we come up with as humans. We say the good, oh, it must mean that it's going to be the job that is, is meaningful, that I enjoy, that pays me really well. It could be the awesome relationships, could be an amazing spouse and, and great friends. It could be you know, kids, it could be great health, it could be having all the toys that you want. Whatever it means, that's what we sometimes think in our minds. We go, oh, God is working for my good, and so it must be those, but that's not what Paul is talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about. We're not getting promised a perfect life with no troubles. And, we need, and we're getting everything. And there's, it's just, you know, a Hallmark movie. What he says is that he's working things according to his plan and his will. Let's look at verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The image of his son. That's the good that God is working towards in our lives. It's not stuff. It's a change of our hearts and our attitudes and our actions to be more like Christ. So we're conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And so what we see here in this passage is part of being conformed to the image of God is us going and doing the things that God has called us to do and to be. And if we think about the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter, he was, on his, he was getting ready to go on a missionary journey to Spain. And on his way, he was planning to stop by in Rome, and he wanted the people in Rome to be the Christians there to kind of be ready because he wasn't going to be able to spend a long time. So he gave us this expansive uh, understanding of the gospel. That's what he wrote 
in Romans to the, to the church in Rome. And so as he's doing this, but he recognizes that his job is not to be to plant a church, to stick around for 30 years and pastor it. His job was to go and spread the gospel to the Gentiles who have never heard the good news before. And so he would plant churches. He'd go to a new town, he'd start a new church and preach until people got so mad at him he had to leave because they were going to try to kill him and then he'd go on to the next place. That was Paul's purpose. He was accomplishing his purpose that God has given him. And so that's the good that God was working through Paul, conforming him to his image. And then it also says that we are being justified, or we have been justified. When we come to faith and hope in Jesus Christ, it says that we are made right with God made right with him. We can actually have a relationship with that. The sin that kept us from having a right relationship with God has been forgiven. We've been given grace. That's the good that God is working towards in our lives. And the last thing is, Paul says, glorified. When we justified, he also glorified. And he writes this in the past tense. But this is a future hope for us. This is the we're going to go to heaven. We get to be with God. There is no more sin, no death, no pain. We have the new bodies that we get to enjoy, and we get to live forever in unity with God. And he says, he writes it in the past tense, even though it's in the future, because Paul is so sure, so certain that it's going to come about that he writes about as if it's already happened. And that's a perspective that we need to have as Christians, that our hope is so sure, so certain that we need to live as if it's already happened. And that's what Paul wants us to do. So in light of the present suffering, we think about the future hope and glory that is to come. And so as we look at this passage and we think, okay, all right, I'm tracking that we have this present, present suffering, but through we wait patiently, with prayer and trusting God that he is working everything for our good. And that I get that. But it's not just a thought process, a thought exercise that we're doing here. Because this is real life. And I think about my youngest daughter, Emma. When she was, before she was born, we found out that she had a uh, pooling of urine in her kidney, which is not a good thing. And so they go, well, we need to check that out. And then, so sometimes it just goes away. And so then they look at it and they examine her and they go, oh no, this is a bigger deal. And then it kept on looking at it and go, no, we're gonna, we're gonna have to do something here. Because the urine wasn't able to travel from her kidney into her bladder. It says, if we don't do something, that infect the kidney and can kill the kidney. It could rupture and send infected urine into the rest of her body. Not a good thing. And, and so as we're processing this and thinking through this and going, God, what in the world are you doing? We're excited to have a new little baby girl in our family, and now she has this problem and she's sick. And then when she's one month old, being able to, having to hand her over to the nurses and the doctors and surgeons. And thinking, God, what in the world are you doing? This is my little baby girl. I love her. 
And I don't want her to experience this hardship and this pain and this suffering. I want what's best for her. And we go through surgery and there's ups and downs after the surgery and now we're looking, after three years, we're looking at possibly this next week, her final appointment at Free and Clear. So God has done amazing things in her. But as I look at that and I realize that as we're going through this, what God is doing, God was working in me, in my heart, and saying, God, I want you to trust me. Or sorry, Stephen, God's talking to me. Stephen, I want you to trust me with your life and everything, including your little baby girl. Trust me with that. Because the good that I'm working in you is that you are more like me as a father to her, as a husband, and as a pastor. That's what I'm working in you through this. And as I was thinking about this and continuing to process, another thing that I came to my mind is, is what, would I, what would I rather have? Would I rather have a healthy baby girl who had no, with, with two working kidneys, or would I have, rather go through this process and have her know and love Jesus Christ and be saved? And I would choose her being saved every single day of the week because that is the greatest good for her is that she'd be saved. And so I pray to God, Father, save my kids. Let them know you. That's more important than any physical health that they have. Although that would be hard. But that's the most important thing, that they know you. And that's the shift that Paul wants to see in us and in our, in our lives. Is that the most important thing is not the here, the present, the now, but the future relationship that we have with God. And so I want to ask you guys, how is the Holy Spirit convicting you to trust in God's plan, to trust him in the midst of your present suffering? Because that's the hard thing to do. It's not easy. But he calls us to trust him. So how are you going to do that in your lives? And then secondly, how is God working to make you more like Christ? Because we have to open up our eyes to see God working. Sometimes we could just go through life and we don't, we're not paying attention and we don't look for God working. So let's look and see how is God working and what is he doing? And I recognize that as well that there may be some of you here who think about, you know, I don't have this hope. I'm not sure if everything's working out for good. I don't, I don't know if I can, I can do that. And this, the present thing is so big. And I want to tell you, come to Jesus. Whether it's for the first time and putting your faith in him for the first time, or maybe that's again and again when you face something new, Come to Jesus, whether you've already known him before. And so we're going to have some men and some women up here. And if you need to talk about how, um, how you need to trust God in your life and you need some help with that, we have some people who can talk with you. And if you need prayer about a present 
struggle, suffering that you're going through, we would love to pray for you. If you want to accept Jesus and have this hope that we're talking about, come talk to us. Come on up. If you want to join the church, you can also come up for that as well. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. Heavenly Father, we know that you are good. You love us, and you didn't leave us in a broken, sinful world. You did something about it. You sent your son. Help us, God, to see you working in our lives. Help us to trust in your plan and not our own. Help us to see that you are making us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. And that is the best thing ever. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.